Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. We're in a series, Kings and Kingdoms, and I've been excited about learning about what it means to reign as kings and priests with our God. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Listen, when God saved us, he set us apart, added us to his great family, and now we're in the family of God, and he saved us to make us holy and sanctify us and perfect us, and he's always working in us. And uh, so we're learning how to rule and reign with Christ as kings and priests. And so we're learning from the first kingdom period. Uh, We're going back to Saul and David. There's some incredible lessons there. Uh, We've already looked at Saul a little bit in this series, and we've learned what not to do. Saul was just not, he was a loser. And uh, he he has filled with pride, and he was uh, disobeyed God, and he was always about himself, and he wanted to take control, he wanted to take charge, and so he blew it royally. And then we've kind of shifted more recently to the positive example, and that's David, who is called a man after God's own heart. Anytime you see David kind of listed in Scripture throughout the Word of God, they will say, and David, a man after God's own heart. And so we're learning what it means to have a kingdom heart after God, and what a positive example we see in David. Now we're going to approach as we go through this series together. He's going to make some colossal failures. He's going to blow it. And yet there there's some amazing things about David that we can all learn from today. David is going through some incredible tests. Now here's the challenge. He's been anointed to be the next king of Israel, but it would be 10 years before from the time he's anointed to the time he gets on the throne in Israel and becomes the next king. During that 10-year period of time is an incredible time of testing in David's life. God's trying to work something out in David to prepare him to shepherd Israel, to lead Israel to be their next king, but it would take 10 years to do that. And, And he's already had a couple tests we looked at, test of faithfulness. He was a faithful man. He, uh, He uh, kept the sheep in the pasture when no one else is looking, no one else is around, and yet he's worshiping God, protecting the sheep, uh, doing so much there as he serves his father and serves the Lord. And then the test of faith. What incredible faith. A lion would come out, and then a bear would come out. But you see the great faith that we looked at last week when he kills Goliath, and he takes Goliath out, and he says, is there not a cause? And he runs to the battle uh, because he's a man of faith. Uh, I hear Aaron just did an awesome job last Sunday uh, as he brought the word of God on slaying giants, killing giants. So, uh, so he's going to have a couple more tests that he's going to face very early on. Let's stand together as we read God's word this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 8, 18 and verse number 1. I'm going to kind of teach you today. It's going to be a little different feel, a little different message this morning. I just want to teach from God's Word. I want to, uh, the, the church to grow up. And what I'm sharing this morning applies to every single one of us. These are all tests that we are all going to face many times throughout our spiritual journey. And if we don't understand how to handle these tests when they come our way, they will sabotage your ministry as a king and priest before God. First uh, Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1. And when David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one, of, one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. 
And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, there's not many people have swords in Israel, so this is a pretty amazing gesture of love. Pick it up with verse 5. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him high rank in the army. So now David's being elevated. He's been playing in the, in the court of King Saul, but now he's even getting more honor and prestige. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the, the Philistine, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs, with tambourines and with lutes. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. We just thank you that you love us. We don't deserve your love and we don't deserve your grace and your mercy, but we're thankful, God, that you love us anyway. I I thank you for the word of God this morning. I pray, Lord, you will teach it to our hearts and we'll learn the lesson you have for us that we can uh, learn how to be your holy priesthood. And we love you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This first test that David encounters as he's returning home is the test of praise. The test of praise. And every one of us at times, sometimes somebody's going to praise you, flatter you, say something great about you. And if you're not careful, this praise can go right to your head and all of a sudden you begin to think your press clippings and think, I'm pretty good. They're right, you know, they, they, they hit it right on the nail on the head. I'm, I'm the guy they're talking about. And if we're not careful, this praise can be intoxicating because it appeals to our carnal, fleshly nature. There's something about ourselves We love praise. And you know, a little of that comes because we're made in the image of God, and we know that God loves the praises of his people, but here's the difference. God's the only one that deserves praise. We don't. We don't. God is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise, not us. And so we've got to learn how to handle this test of praise that comes. And the ladies are, oh, David's back in town. What a hero he is. How awesome he is. He killed Goliath, killed his tens of thousands. Popularity has its attraction, but it also comes with grave spiritual dangers because pride often follows praise. And pride is that one thing that will block the flow of God's grace and God using us and God doing what he wants to in life because the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So how do you remain, how do you remain humble in the midst of all that praise? Listen to Proverbs 27, 21. The crucible for silver... And the furnace for gold, but man is tested by the praise he receives. Maybe the hardest test we'll face is praise. Not giants, not killing giants, not obstacles, not challenges from the outside, but but when someone praises, the Bible says man is tested by the praise he receives. Because praise gets in the way of our serving God. Now, Now, right away, some of you guys are thinking, I'm good there. In fact, the one thing I'm proud of is how humble I really am. And so you're tuning me out already. I can see it in your eyes. I'm so glad so-and-so is hearing this message today because they really need it. Uh, And so if we're not careful, we think it's not us. Listen, we, we battle with this thing called pride. 
One of the seven deadly sins, the number one in the list, I believe, is that pride thing. And it gets in the way of of God and it it messes up. So I'm going to give you a little self-test right now. And as I'm doing that, kind of go through with me and see how you're doing in the test of uh, whether you're passing or failing. Maybe you want to be boss because you think you can do it better than he does. Ooh, that's a tough one. Well, if I were running this show, if I were in charge, I'd, I'd do things differently. I, I'd, I'd run it better. I'd, I'd manage this job a whole lot better than he is. Maybe you cover or justify your faults in order to impress people. And so we cover it over because we don't want everybody to know how we messed up and how bad we are. And so we hide it and we cover it up and we use deception because it makes us look bad. And so that, that pride keeps us. Uh, how about this one? You take credit for what others or only God has done. We, we tend to think that we're pretty special when we believe what they begin to say. Here's one, and this is probably we're all guilty of this many, many times. We find fault in others to make ourselves look better. In fact, it's been said when you criticize someone else, it's an evil way to praise yourself because you are declaring that person is a dummy and I'm not. And so you criticize them, you attack them, and, and, but it, it's, it's all about pride. And so if this is a problem you have, you're dealing with the issue of pride. How about this one? You feel a twinge of pain when someone else around you is praised. Oh, ooh, that should have been me. Can't believe they said that about this guy. I, I, I'm much better than he is. And all they can talk about is how great a ball player he is. And you should see the catch I made. No one said a word about that. And so you just feel like a little bit of inside of you when someone else is praised. All those are indications that you might have an issue with pride. So the question for us today is how do we deal with praise and protect against pride? I want to give you three things. Turn your bulletins over. Follow along with me this morning. And let's learn today. Let's grow today. Uh, Number one is reject flattery. Reject flattery. Uh, Proverbs 29 and verse 5, whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. Whoever flatters a neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. So what is flattery? Flattery can be defined this way, praising you for something that you're not or that you're not responsible for. It's just kind of just making something up in order to flatter you uh, and you're spreading the net for your feet. And usually flattery is always used to get something back in return. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. You go to that car lot and the salesman walks up to you and you're looking at all these used cars and, and what's the salesman say? He says, you know what? I can tell you're an intelligent guy. I can tell you know how to handle money. Let me show you this car right over here. Have I got a deal for you because you're so smart and you're so shrewd and you deserve to be riding in this car? Well, what's, what's happened right away? <sighs> yes, I guess I do. This car looks good on me. Even though it costs $50,000, no problemo. I'll just go in debt up to my eyeballs and you buy that car because someone said you were smart or you were a wise businessman or whatever the line they use. When they're using flattery, what are they doing? They're spreading the net for your feet. And before you know that, you walk out of there in debt with a car you don't need. Always talk you into going a step up. You need need all the accessories. Get the bigger truck. Get the badder truck. And uh, men, we we suck into that so easily. Turn to Proverbs. Let me give you another example. Proverbs chapter 5. Look at verse number 3. Talking about how a prostitute or an adulteress will use flattery. 
For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. In other words, the prostitute says, come on over here, honey. Let me feel your muscles. I get that a lot. I don't know why. (laughs) I just had to say that. That's terrible. Flattery. The Bible says in Proverbs, they're setting a net for your feet. And they're trying to ensnare you, but in the end, it leads to death. Reject flattery. Number two, deflect praise. Deflect praise. Romans 12 and verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. In other words, you put the other person above yourself so you deflect the praise back to them. Or you deflect the praise to someone else or you deflect the praise to God, but you don't receive it and you don't soak it up and you don't take it all in. Deflect praise. Honor others above yourself. Anyone who will simply accept praise is a mark that he may be disloyal. Now, you, 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 because if you're open to accepting praise, then you're also open to accepting criticism about somebody else. And you can be very disloyal wherever you're at. And so uh, you, you become very easy to speak against leadership because they like me. I've killed 10,000. Saul's only killed 1,000. I'm a much better leader in general than he is any day of the week. And if we're not careful, that will rush to our head and we will subvert leadership. We will not come under spiritual authority. Uh, you're going to see this in Absalom. Absalom did not know how to deflect praise. He took it all in, and ultimately he would divide the kingdom and come against David himself, and we'll hit that later in this series. Pass the honor unto others. Now, here's the deal. This doesn't come natural because we like it. We like to hear it. We love it. It it just uh, appeals to our flesh. It doesn't come naturally. And, And don't reject praise this way and say, well, it was really nothing. You haven't seen nothing yet. Or coming across super spiritual. Well, you know. It's... Respond by acknowledging with a smile and then transfer praise back to God and back to others. It deflect it. Deflect it. If you begin to absorb that and take that in, it will fill your head with pride. Uh, all right. Number, number three. Reprove worship. Reprove worship. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 and verse number 11. Uh, there's been a mighty healing done. Paul and Barnabas are involved in that. They pray for the guy. He, I think it's a lame man. And he's walking and leaping, and the crowd begins to gather around, and everybody marvels at this, and they pick it up with verse number 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Now, worship is that which only can be attributed to God. So you see they're going to offer sacrifices and begin to worship. Barnabas called They called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gate because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out to the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We are only human. 
We are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. We are not God. And so they immediately reprove worship. Worship comes when they expect something from you that only God can give. When they expect something from you that only God can give. It is taking the place of God. Now you say, Pastor, nobody's been worshiping me, but let me tell you how we worship people and how we put them on a pedestal and what happens when they let us down. In the era of TV evangelists and authors and celebrities and rock stars and everything else, we begin to put them on a pedestal and we worship them. Only trouble is, and it's happened many, many times, when you follow and worship that man or that spiritual leader or that, uh, or that guy that's on television every week and, and we be, get such a huge following and how many tweet followers and Twitter people are out there and how many are following this person, what happens when he stumbles and he falls and sins like any other man? Well, I'm mad with God, and God let me down, and they leave the church, and they get angry because I looked up to the spiritual leader, and he failed. I'm going to tell tell you, you've had your eyes on the wrong person. Your eyes should be on the Lord, not on man. It's a sign you are worship people. Because when they fail, when they blow it, when adultery or financial scandal or something comes out that rocks our world, we say, you know what, I'm not going to church anymore. Well, you had your eyes on the wrong person. Reprove, reprove worship. They tore their garments. They said, this is not us. David did not parade himself in public to get applause. He was wise enough to remain loyal and submit to King Saul. And later, when he had opportunities to kill Saul, and and I don't have time to go into all these messages, but he's going to have a couple opportunities where he could have took Saul out in just a moment, and he could have been the next king a whole lot quicker along the way, but he would not promote himself. Because ultimately, he believed that all promotion comes from God, and it comes from God in his own time. Verse 14, David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. And ultimately, David knew that all praise and all glory and all strength and all honor belongs to the Lord. And he writes in Psalm 150, praise ye the Lord, praise him all hosts, praise him on the sound of the cymbal and the drums, and praise him with the high-sounding praises. God's worthy of praise, not us, not us. So you reject flattery, deflect praise, and absolutely reprove worship. Now right away he's going to face another test, and it's really the opposite of that last test. There's the test of praise, and next was the test of criticism. Praise, criticism. You're going to get plenty of both. Praise, criticism. How do you handle criticism? Let's pick up the story with verse number 8. And Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. And he said, they have credited David with tens of thousands. He thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in the house while David was playing his harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So on this occasion, two spears are hurled at David. Now, a deep, dark depression begins to settle in on Saul. 
And he's going to start this whole process toward lunacy. He's going to go nuts and mad, and an evil spirit comes upon him. And yet the amazing thing, the Bible says an evil spirit came upon him, but he's still prophesying in the house. It kind of goes back to the day when they were amazed that Saul was among the prophets. And somehow he kept up that appearance. He kept that up all along the way. So he's still going through the motions all the time, being driven and motivated by an evil spirit. Listen to me, people. I've said it once. I'll say it again. It is possible to come to church and sing and pray and prophesy and worship and be totally in the flesh. We go through the motions like we always have done and we know how to do the routine and we've been in church all our life uh, and, 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 and yet he, it says in verse 12, he was not even aware that the Spirit of God had left him. Demonic activity can often imitate miraculous gifts. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed with all kinds of counterfeit miracles signs and wonders. And so just because it is a miracle or a sign or a wonder or a gift of the Holy Spirit or prophecy or even tongues and interpretation or faith or miracles or whatever other gift you want to attach to it, I will tell you the evil spirit can imitate any single one of these gifts because he also has amazing power. But evil spirits can never produce spiritual life. Even David's playing on the harp could not soothe Saul. And uh, at times he would calm down. At times when David worshiped, there would be a, a quiet spirit that would come up on, upon the house. But at this time, it, even that didn't work. And the Bible says he picks up a spear and he hurls it at David. Yet Saul wasn't fighting man because what happens is the spirit had left Saul and had gone into David. And so now he is coming against God himself. Spear throwers, when they throw spears at you, often for no reason at all, they're actually coming against not you, but the presence of God in your life. And they will talk about you, and the spears may come along the way. It's a part of what happens in persecution and following and serving the Lord. Now, here's the question. How do we respond when a spear is hurled at you? I want to give you three things. Jot these down, and I think I have a spear here today. Yeah, I have one. This spear was uh, given to me in Kenya. We actually built a church down there, and uh, the Masimare, who are uh, lion hunters, big, tall uh, uh, Africans in Kenya, and they carry these spears, and they pound the ground, and they stirs up the lions. The lions begin to come out of the brush, and then they take the spear, and they hurl at the lion, they surround the lion, and they kill them, and that's part of what the Maasai do in Kenya. And so they gave me one of these. I did not take it. I put it in my, took it apart, put it in my suitcase, lest I be arrested at the airport right away. And so I did make it home with my spear, and it does come apart, and hopefully it will stay together now. Okay, so what do you do when someone picks up the spear and they hurl it right at you? Well, there's three things you can do, three ways to respond. Number one, you can pick up the spear and throw it back. How can they say that about me? And we have to get the last word, the last thing in, and we throw the spear back, and I want to prove that I am right and they are wrong, and I won't be pushed around. I won't settle for this injustice. I want to set the record straight. I will not be wronged. And here's the problem. One day when you're king, you will be also very skilled at throwing spears because you've been throwing yours back. 
You've been getting even. You've been throwing those verbal jabs and those criticisms and those complaints. It's hard to resist the temptation to get even. Revenge is a powerful motivator, and if we're not careful, we'll take it into our own hands. We'll want revenge. We'll want the last word, and it happens all the time. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Listen to what the Word of God has to say about this. Romans 12, verse number 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. He's just thrown a spear at you. What do you do? Bake him a cake. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now listen to me. We read this, but this is one of those verses that's almost impossible to live out. This is hard and the natural do. Because we want the last word, we want to get even, we want to take revenge, we want to prove everybody that we're right and they're wrong, and in the natural, this is extremely, extremely hard to keep our mouth shut and not say anything. Especially in the age of social media, Facebook, twits and tweeters, and all those other things that are out there. We want to get even. And so in the natural, it's hard to do it. But in the supernatural, with God's help, it's like turning the other cheek. In Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, when he, when he writes those verses about how to live out this kingdom life, in the natural, it's hard to do. I need God's supernatural help to keep my mouth shut and not seek revenge and do good to those who persecute us. Leave it to God. Let God defend you. You've got to believe, Hebrews 13, 6. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can more, mere mortals do to me? Listen, if God's in control of my life, he's in charge. It doesn't matter how many spears are flying my way or what's being said about me. My, I'm in God's hands. Leave them with God. Leave yourself with God. And don't throw that spear back. Fight every urge. To get revenge, to get even. And here's the deal. God will allow all sorts of irritating spear throwers to enter into your life until you learn to trust God's power. So every time a spear is hurled at you, it's a test to see how you respond. Are you going to trust yourself to get even? Or are you going to say, you know what, God, I'm in your hands. You're going to take care of me. I'm, I'm leaving this with you. The last thing we want to be guilty of is reactionary sins. What's a reactionary sin? Sin committed out of hurt or defense. You see, because the reality is, if I pick that spear up and I hurl it back, I'm just as guilty as the guy who threw it. And I enter his level of play. And now I become embroiled in my own gossip, my own backbiting, my own strife, because I am, am, am fighting back. And so it's a reactionary sin. Number two. You can let the spear hit you. That's not a great option, but we do it all the time. How do we do it? When, that, when you're hit with the spear, what happens is you turn a very deep shade of bitter. And now you take that bitterness and you internalize it. And you won't forgive. And you won't let it go. And it begins to poison you from the inside because you're angry, you're hurt, 
you're bitter, and you may not do anything. You may not throw the spear back, but you just let it penetrate your heart, and it settles down, and it festers inside of you. Now, here's the reality. The universal story of sin is simply this. Eventually, someone is going to betray you. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to throw a spear at you. They're going to come against you. They are going to betray you and turn on you. There's going to be a friend who bails out on you, who leaves you high and dry, and on their way out, they're talking about you every step of the way. There will be a family member who misunderstands your intentions, and they also will come against you. And in the area of social media, these spears can often be amplified. And it's amazing on Facebook Thoughtless people will get on Facebook and they'll say, you know what, I've just found the greatest friend today and he is so nice and finally someone is nice to me. And you know what, you, he's been on your Facebook time all this time and you, you say, what am I, chopped liver? I've been a friend of this guy for years. We've eaten out together all this time. And now he writes that about his new friend, right? New lover, oh my goodness. We were a boyfriend and girlfriend and now I found a girlfriend that's really nice. Yeah, the implication is not like the last one, and you're the last one. You know, and you, you, it comes. I, I, I love the ones, you know, everybody gets on, on Facebook, and uh, they found their new church. Found a new church. They finally found a church where they preach the word of God, and they really know how to praise at that church. They know how to worship, and finally found a new church where, where the spirit of God is moving. Where'd they just leave? Faith assembly. Pastor, what's wrong with your church? I hear you're going down to tubes. I hear the thing's tanking on you. You know, you got, and, and, and it, it's just, it's, it's, that, it's that social media and the spears come flying. And what's happening, we're not careful. We internalize it. We write them off. We're done with them. We hold the anger. We hold the bitterness. Listen to Psalm 13 too. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? When you refuse to forgive or when you are easily offended, you give your spear thrower power over you. Let me say that again. If you are easily offended, if you refuse to forgive and let it go, you're giving the spear thrower power over your life. Now here's the follow-up statement and get this one. It is impossible to be the victor, to reign with Christ Jesus and be the victim at the same time. If you are always playing the victim card, poor me, poor me, everybody's talking about me, everybody's mad at me, I'm having spears flying my way, poor me, if you are playing the victim card, you cannot be a victor in Christ Jesus at the same time. Mm, mm, mm. You let it penetrate. Here's what happened. That spear throw is going to go on and he's going to find another target. You're going to be so angry and mad with him. All the time you're bleeding out of the chest because that spear is still there. And you let it hit you. Third thing you can do when there's spear thrown your way is you can dodge the spear. David understood that God would protect him. Ultimately, God was his source. God will protect me. You see, he had already been anointed by Samuel to be the next king. Now, if Samuel was going to anoint him to be the next king, don't you think he's going to make it to the throne? Don't you understand that no spear is going to take him out because he's right in the center of God's will and God's plan, and it's okay. Let the spears come. I'll dodge them because God's going to keep me alive to rule and reign with him. Wow. David also understood a New Testament principle, even though he didn't live in the New Testament age, but it's a kingdom principle. 
It's a principle for every Christ follower. I want to read this verse to you. It says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake, the same will save it. Now listen, we, we use this, you've heard this verse a lot. I'm going to die with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live. Christ lives in me. And we, we say that freely until someone throws a spear at us. And we say, how dare you? But here, here's the thing about dead people. Here's the thing about corpses. You can kick a corpse. You can make faces at the corpse. You can talk about that corpse all you want. But when that corpse is dead, he will not respond. If I have been crucified with Christ, why am I responding to every criticism that comes my way? I've died with Christ. I hung on the cross with Christ. I rose with him to walk in newness of life. Listen, I, it's no longer I that live with Christ. No, they can't bother me. They can't hurt me because I'm dead. The old man's dead. That old nature is dead. How can you learn to be effective spear dodgers? I want to give you three things. Jot this down. Number one, understand, never learn the fashionable art of spear throwing. Don't learn how to throw spears yourself. Don't take it up as a hobby. Don't talk about others. Don't write about others. Don't criticize others. Don't attack others. Don't run others down. Don't don't be a spear thrower yourself. If you have kind speech, kind language, and you talk well of people, it will come back on you. Number two, stay out of the company of spear throwers. Now, if if you don't want to get by a spear, don't hang around spear throwers. Right? Listen, your closest friends, associates should be positive, excited people who who love the Lord and have a good outlook on life. But if you're around critical, grumpy, negative, mean-spirited people, you're going to get hit. Because eventually you'll become their target. And number three, and here's, here's a real deep one. Get this one. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> then the spears can never hit you. Hmm. God was using Saul to test David. Now, in, in some way, Saul becomes an instrument in the hand of God to prepare David for the throne. So every time these spears are thrown, every time he chases them down, every time he tries to kill them, whether it be in Engedi or in the caves or climbing around mountains or wherever it's at, God is using Saul to do a work in David's heart. King Saul represents all that is carnal and worldly and evil. We've kind of contrasted the two. Carnal heart, evil heart, uh, heart after God, David, okay? God will use Saul's Spear throwing to drive out the Saul spirit that might have resided inside of David. To cut away Saul so that he could rule and reign as a king under the Lord. The operation was brutal. It almost killed the patient, but it's God's way of pruning the branches. He prunes the branches back. He cuts us back so that in the end we may produce more fruit. And so he is using Saul as his pruning shear, and he's lopping it off, lopping it off, David, one by one, lopping it off, but he's getting ready for him to be a fruitful leader in the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of Israel. It's amazing. So he uses spear throwers. 
The next decade he would run, he would hide, he was in constant danger. But God is always working out his plan. He is trying to make David into a shepherd that Israel could follow and respond to. Listen to Psalm 18 and verse 28. My God turns my darkness into light. Aren't you glad even though the spears are flying your way and the criticism is out there and sometimes you feel like you're in the middle of it, God can take that darkness, he will turn it into his own light. Turn if you would. I want to show you one last passage. David wrote this, Psalm 23. I, want to, I like to end every one of these messages on David with a psalm that he wrote. But listen to this one. Psalm 23 and verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my spear throwers, in the presence of mine enemies. God, you got a banquet feast for me. I will feast on you. I'll choose to reject that report, and I will feast on the goodness of the Lord. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, goodness and mercy are stalking us. They will follow me all the days of my life. They are coming after me. I can't get away from goodness. I can't get away from mercy. God will chase me down. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Listen to me. Get this, church. No person or institution can ultimately obstruct obstruct God's blessings over me. No person or institution can ultimately obstruct God's blessings over my life because surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Wherever I go, it's following me. Throw the spears. It's okay. I'll just duck. God's going to follow me with goodness and mercy. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.